Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Max. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, on the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Yeah, or three. I feel like, I feel like it's three. I feel like it's yeah. Two was the Eagles Browns preseason recap, so it should be three. Yep, you are correct. Okay, I do that a lot. You'll notice. Be correct. Yeah, it's this talent of mine. Yeah, you get lucky. That's what it is. Watch your mouth. All right. (laughs) Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode three, brought to you by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist of BleedingGreenNation.com. Follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight Your Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Mike, I'm here to tell you uh, that every day is a good day to be alive. Uh, and that today, as always, was a fantastic one. It may have been uh, one of my last days on Eagles campus uh, on Novacare. Today was the last day of practice before the Jets game. And that's my last credentialed game that I have. So maybe my last day on Novacare, which would be a sad thing. But overall, it was a wonderful experience. It was a good time. Record with Fran Duffy. You know, chill. Uh, uh, did Journey to the Draft, which was a blast. So pretty good day. How about you? You're just big timing me, man. Here's what I did. I woke up, I made some cereal, I took the kids to school, I came home, busted out some articles, watched some film, right? Always um, good. Then went out, hung, hung out with my buddy who was my best man in my wedding. He's down in town. Got got some time with him. And uh, yeah, he is not Fran Duffy though. So uh, sorry, Brian. Don't mean to insult you, but you are not Fran Duffy. And apparently I'm not Ben. Here's what makes me laugh is sometimes like Mike just dropped on the timeline. If you don't follow Mike, Mike just dropped... A clip of Washington Redskins fourth round safety Troy Apke, rookie. And I look at it and I just wonder to myself, like, why is Mike watching the Redskins <laughs> preseason games? You know what I mean? Like, when Mike drops clips on the timelines, it's like totally inexplicable. Like, what got you into that game? Dude, I watch, I watch so much and I, and I wanted to watch every preseason game. So I go through them condensed. And if I see something that stands out, I might just watch that player for the rest of the half. Like, for instance, uh, Fred Warner, the the rookie linebacker at a BYU for the 49ers. I wanted, I saw him pop on a play, and I'm like, hmm, I really like Fred Warner coming out in the draft. I hear he's drawing some praise. Let's watch Fred Warner for a half. 
And then I saw Troy Apke for the Washington Redskins, their fourth round pick, miss a tackle. And I said, ooh, this could be good. I was about to say, I love how like watching Apke miss a tackle is like a big deal when all Apke does is miss tackles. It is when you control Washington Redskins Twitter. The the divine calling. I forgot. So here's what we're going to do today, Ben. We're going to get this on track. Not unlike the, what was it, the off-topic Tuesday listen, with you and Brandon Lee Gouton. <laughs> listen, I'm sorry that there was Eagles news and Brandon and I hadn't talked in a while and we provided analysis, Mike. I'm sorry, lead voice podcast producer Mike Kiss. We will never, ever again talk about the Eagles on Off-Topic Tuesday. Sorry, lead voice podcast producer Mike Michael Kiss. <laughs> I was actually conflicted. I wanted to call that BGN Radio 4 because it was basically like a BGN Radio show with a mailbag at the end. Yeah, BL- BLG said the same thing, yeah. Yeah, so we, we I just made it uh, BGN Radio 3.5 unofficially. So if you haven't heard that, there was a ton of stuff that Ben and Brandon covered on yesterday's episode, which was fantastic. And then they also got into stuff about Fogo de Chows and... and breakfast food arguments at the end of it as well so it was a fun episode but also had a lot of quality content hopefully we can bring that same quality to you on this on this show here on the kissed and solak show the main thing that i wanted to talk to you about today ben the reason i brought you here is i wanted to talk about carson wentz and how we are going to protect him we have Mm -hmm. um, expressed some concerns about the offensive line lately. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about it. And then at the end of the episode, I have an interview with our friend, uh, Betts. Hey, Betts is the man. Is is Betts your favorite follow? Betts puts out content that is irreplicable, irreplaceable, and highly valuable. Can't find it anywhere else. Here's my thing. <laughs> I'm not like good enough at the internet to fully appreciate stuff that Betts does. You know what I mean? Like Betts is is like he makes all these great references and all these memes that people find very funny. And I don't really understand a lot of that stuff. So I'm just like I acknowledge like I see it. I'm like this is a funny thing. I'm I'm sure other people find it funny. But then when he's you know he like is breaking down the different varieties of pattern matching and match quarters and how to identify them. Like that's unparalleled content nobody else uh, is doing. So that's what I love. Yeah, I love it when I post a play on Twitter. And he comes in and he goes, oh, well, that's, you know, easy to do with nub side and you've got one yeah. rat. And I'm like, all right, okay, uh, okay, let me put on my glasses and let's that's get serious. That's just the most <laughs> casually dunk on you in like a very nice way. Like I never feel <laughs> yeah. like he like, like stupid when he's explaining stuff to me. Never. He's incredibly good in that way. But yeah. he'll just roll up in your mentions and be like, you know how you think you know something about this? Turns out you don't <laughs> and I do. Uh, I hate how that happens. And by the way, like a thousand coaches follow me and you're about to get swarmed <laughs> if you don't come correct. Yeah, He's it's crazy. So what we're going to do is we're I, I talked with Betts the other day about RPOs uh, and really kind of dug in deep uh, on those with him. So we're going to put that at the end of the show. It's going to make sense why we're putting this in the show about protecting Carson Wentz here as we roll through this thing. So, Ben, we had talked about the offensive line. We had concerns about Big V. We talked about the depth. I don't think there's a team in the NFL, to be honest with you, right now that is really comfortable with their depth. The Minnesota Vikings just traded for a Giants center. That's not good. No. Listen, Ben Jones, all right? I think I let me let me hit, let me pull up Ben Jones stuff. He's not terrible in Bleacher Reports NFL 1000. Ethan Young put him as a top 15 center, uh, and so he said that steady starter, but he's not an active. He doesn't keep his head on a swivel. Here's the thing: that interior was already bad, mm-hmm. and now they're at a point where Pat Alfline doesn't look like he can make 
uh, the start coming into the season, uh, recovering from injury, their 2017 selection out of Ohio State. And so here we are now with a, a, a fill option, right? Like, you know, even if Ben Jones, like, had put out some good years of tape, still it's the guy that they went and traded for. It was, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it was a, a low capital that they gave in return. So clearly not viewed up very highly in that regard. Vikings offensive line is a problem, man. It's a serious problem. People, like, outside of Minnesota, no one's really talking about it. I haven't seen much mention of it in the national media. I'm sure Andy Benoit has completely missed it in his string of tweets about teams. So I feel like that could really, really derail their season quickly. And it won't even matter how good that defense is, is because they just won't be able to run the ball and they won't be able to protect their quarterback. It is definitely something to track moving forward. And again, not every team in the NFL has an idea, uh, ideal O-line depth situation going on, including the Eagles. Talent in that regard is extremely hard to come by these days. So if we sound like we're complaining about the offensive Eagles offensive line depth, yeah. uh, we understand that Halapulivativaitai would be a starter on some teams because there are bad tackles out there and there are backups on our team that would have a bigger role. That does not make them good. A dearth of talent does not make them good. Like, Listen, I dropped a post today on Bleeding Green Nation. Uh, ESPN Top 100 came out and the insiders were discussing it. And one of the insiders thought Carson Wentz was too high and another thought Zach Ertz was too low. And it was a really cool conversation. Uh, but I, I looked for my own interest. Guess how many offensive tackles, and this is projecting into 2018, right? So who would be the best ones of 2018? Guess how many made the Top 100? Seven. Six. So pretty good, right? Ooh. Now, they divided up edge rushers by uh, defensive end and outside linebackers. So I don't have like an exact perfect number of edges, but guess how many roughly edges there were. Let's go 17. Yes, exactly. No, no, there are 14. Whoa, really? 14 defensive ends. And then they had like Vic Beasley, Vaughn Miller, and like Justin Houston in outside linebackers or something like that, right? Did I just nail it on the head? <laughs> yeah, no, you're the man. But we're talking about, as far as elite players, three times as many edge rushers right. as offensive tackle. It's a problem. It's a big time problem. So it's not always about the offensive line depth is what you can do as an offense schematically. So I was thinking about this. How can how can we protect Wentz? And I did want to bring up a point uh, outside of plugging in Jason Peters, because obviously he hasn't been playing during the preseason, plugging him back up, you know, back into the lineup. It's my opinion that the Eagles have already figured this out even before coming into the season with Nick Foles already. So if you've listened to us before, you know that one of the ways that the Eagles kept Foles clean in their playoff run was lowering his time to throw, which was about 0.2 seconds quicker from the regular season to the postseason. I've got new data on that. The other part of that, and this is the new info that I've uncovered, is how the Eagles sped up their play-action game, which when Pro Football Focus and Football Outsiders chart it, it also takes into account run-pass options, right? So right. in the regular season... Foles' average depth of target on play action was 10.3 yards, and those plays mm -hmm. took 2.85 seconds from snap to throw, so 2.85 seconds to develop those play action throws down the field. That's a long time from snap to throw, folks, when you've got some offensive line issues, and that gives those mm -hmm. pass rushers, those 16 to 17 top 100 pass rushers, another beat to get home and affect the throw. So what they did in the playoffs, the average depth of target on play action dropped a full three yards. So from 10.3 to 
to 7.3 average depth of target. Wow. That's significant, especially when you consider back in 2013 with Foles, his average depth of target was 14.6 yards. So they dialed him back literally in half from mm-hmm. 2013. So that uh, that's extremely dialed back. So you're threatening with the run, with the run pass option, but you're getting to those available receivers much quicker because the design is scheming them on shorter routes and the ball can come out earlier. And basically you're looking at it, we're looking at one force defender that you're reading off of so you can make that decision quicker you don't necessarily have to scan the whole field so the ball can come out quicker so let's recap the depth of target just in case i ran through it too quick 2013 14.6 yards depth of target 2017 regular season 10.3 2017 playoffs 7.3 so what that does to your time to throw is huge and as i mentioned 2.85 seconds from snap to throw in the regular season compared to a lightning fast 2.27, 2.27 average in the playoffs of play action. That's 20%, you know what I mean? That's like, or it's less, it's like about 15%. Yeah, and Ben, people talk about, you know, how much time you have to throw, and it's typically two and a half seconds. And if you're getting it out at 2.27, 2.27 seconds would like lead the league in quickest time to throw like every week. So what we did was we hyperactivated that RPO, we hyperactivated the play action with Nick Foles, got out of his hands much earlier. Mm -hmm. And as you'll see, if you look at the pressure rates from the time to throw, six out of the seven times that the Eagles with Wentz were over the average time to throw, he was also over the league average in getting pressured. Five out of the six times he was under, he was under the league average in getting pressured. I think the Eagles have figured this out in the playoffs. I think they know this. I think they're smart enough to look at the analytics and look at the stuff that I'm looking. If I see it, they definitely see it. And I'm sure that that's the way that they probably want to game plan around Wentz. The question is, can Wentz be a different quarterback and make those decisions? And you know he likes to hold on to the ball a little bit, right? Absolutely. I mean, what you'll have bringing that yards per, or excuse me, not yards, seconds to throw number down is the fact that, you know, Carson likes to hold on to the football, but if you give him RPO looks, which are pre-snap reads, then the decision's already made. So there's no holding on to the football, right? Uh, I have a case to be made as far as presenting, uh, protecting Carson Wentz, which I also think the Eagles have figured this out based off evidentially what they've been doing. And I think it's really interesting because we talk a lot about right tackles being as valuable as left tackles, right? In an RPO heavy world, your right tackle is more valuable than your left tackle in the fact that your quarterback is right-handed because the majority of your RPOs then will be coming to the front side. They'll be coming to the the right-handed side because you want your quarterback to have his feet set in the mesh point so that he can immediately pull up and throw with his right hand. So if you think about if the halfback were aligned to the left-hand side of the quarterback and he would be faking into that mesh point, it's more difficult for him to get up and then set his feet to throw down the field versus if the halfback's to his right-hand side, he can already align his feet to his throw because he's right-handed, right? Carson and Nick are both right-handed. Philadelphia has Lane Johnson. Not only did they invest a insane amount of money in their right tackle, uh, you know, big contract, fourth overall selection, but also they do not look intent on giving Lane left tackle snaps, left tackle snaps, when Jason Peters goes down. 
And so you're at the point where their right tackle, because of the responsibilities dictated by him, on those RPOs reading to the right-handed side, there's no way pressure is going to make it on time from your left tackle. You know what I mean? Like, Hogbulivati-Vaitai not surrendering pressures against the Vikings. Well, if you run all RPOs to the right-hand side, you can't surrender pressure. It can't. No human is fast enough, right? Like, it just... Did you you see the the clip that I put up in the article about Hogbulivati-Vaitai? There was a clip where Nick Foles ran an RPO, got it out in like under two seconds, and Vitae was on his butt, but he yeah. shut Everson Griffin down. Right, because <laughs> that's not going to be, you know, uh, qualified and charted as a pressure. So, you know, this is, I think that that right tackle conversation, when we think about frontside RPOs, is incredibly interesting. And then what, you know, that's that's the Eagles part of me. Then the just the football mind of me in general goes, you could screw with some defenses with a left-handed quarterback, right? Because of, of, of the different ways that you'd be running uh, play action and the different ways you'd be running your RPOs to the opposite side of the field, whatever. But we talk about, you know, the Eagles having little edges and there's an available information bias as readers and as reporters where we read about all oh, the little advantages the Eagles have on fourth down and we go, Oh, this is what their analytics gives us. No, no, no. That's one thing their analytics gives us. Their analytics gives <laughs> them probably a ton of stuff we don't know about. I think the argument here is that they very clearly have offensive line theories that are new, that are fresh, that are rooted in the numbers. And we can kind of identify them by the constraints that are put on them. Like when Jason Peters goes down and talking about that right tackle situation. So uh, this is going to get a, outside of the view of the Eagles for a second because I just put this up on Twitter the other day. So Eric Flowers, the New York Giants, new right tackle. He moved from left to right to accommodate for Nate Solder coming in. Same division as the Eagles. So it's going to be a very similar situation for the Eagles and, and pass rushers for the Eagles as well. Let's take a look at what Eric Flowers has to face at right tackle. Week one, Yannick Ngalkwe. Week two, Demarcus Lawrence. Week three, a combination of Jadavion Clowney, Whitney Merciless, and J.J. Watt. Okay. Week four, Cameron Jordan. Week five, Julius Peppers, who still has Okay, it. no. All right, finally we got to one where it was like, all right, this is a little bit of a breather. Okay. Only because <laughs> Peppers. Pepper, okay, compared to, Cameron, compared to Cameron Jordan, Jadavion Clowney, <laughs> Yannick Ngakwe, True. and who was week two? J.J. Watt, Merciless, there was D-Law. Yeah. D-Law, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Listen, yeah. five years ago, Pepper. Peppers, but still, he's like 48 now or something. <laughs> so week six, Brandon Graham. Week eight, Ryan Kerrigan, who's averaged over 10 sacks in, you know per year. Mm-hmm. Uh, week 11, JPP. You get a little breather there. You do get a breather mm-hmm. there. And I took a, a week off for the buy and, and a team that, that didn't have an elite pass rusher. Week 12, Brandon Graham again. Hello. Uh, week 14, Kerrigan again. Week 17, Demarcus Lawrence again. So he's fa- facing Brandon Graham, Ryan Kerrigan, Demarcus Lawrence. Uh, twice in the year. I mean, a similar situation for the Eagles at right tackle. There are a lot of elite pass rushers that rush off the right tackle. You look at Von Miller. You look at uh, last year, Khalil Mack, who for some reason might be traded. And those guys don't follow the the like the weaker tackle around. I don't know when that narrative started. I think it was around, what, week eight for us, week nine for us for the Denver Broncos game when people said, oh, well, Bunch is going to go to the other side with Vitae and it never materialized he took like right. one snap over there but anyway yeah right tackle extremely important I think that conversation is dead and the only thing that you have left is well it's the quarterback's blind side well pressure in the face of a quarterback from the interior or the right side does just as much as being hit from the blind side and if you took karate you would know 
that I never took karate. This is just something I heard a karate instructor say at a school to me once. If a car is coming and you brace yourself, <laughs> you're going to take more damage. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I interrupted it. Bring that back. I was I was looking at Ben waiting for him just to see his face on that one because I was going nowhere with it. But look, if you're braced up, you're gonna get hurt. You're gonna get hurt more. You're gonna get them being relaxed. Uh, as far as that goes, I don't know. Is there a study? Do you know Ben? Is there a study out there that says that quarterbacks get hurt more from the blind side than they do from the front side? I don't know, but you got to talk to Keegan Abdu about that. Keegan's the guy. The uh, he was with SIS. Yeah. Now he's with NFL Next Gen Stats. I talked to him. Good follow on Twitter. Follow Keegan. I play PUBG with his roommate like literally every night. So I'm just going to tell him to tell him and we're going to have a little conversation. I'm going to okay. give up your headset and the, let's talk about the this. The producer is asking me a question, which is what is PUBG? PUBG? Yeah. I don't know what PUBG is. No. Have you ever heard of H1Z1? No. You've heard of Fortnite. H1, is that a, H1Z1, is, that's not a virus. No, it's H1N1. I've heard <laughs> of Fortnite. Yeah. My my buddies play that. Yeah. It's, it's a less... Um, Plenty of Fortnite players on here, and I don't really mind Fortnite, but it's a less um, less cartoony version of Fortnite. It's a little more, it's a little more gritty and crappier okay. as far as the money that they dump into it. It's a piece of crap game. I don't know why we play it like almost every night, but we. Why do. is it called? So, why is it called PUBG? What does it stand for? Players Battle uh, Battle Underground. So wouldn't that be P Bug? PUBG Players Underground Battle. Wait, Players Under Players Under Battleground. You just blew my mind. <laughs> Have you been using the wrong acronym this whole time? <laughs> No, it's PUBG. P-U-B-G. But it should be P-Bug. <laughs> I can't deal with gaming. I really am not cut out for it. Apparently, I don't know the name of this crappy game either that I play every night and yet hate. And we are way off the rails. Ben, um, any other points that you wanted to make before we kick it over to this interview with uh, with our friend Betts about how we can continue to keep our precious, precious quarterback upright? Can I hit you with an impromptu three-minute segment? Anytime. Yeah, do you remember That's back in the olden days of Locked on Eagles when we were building from the ground up with our bare hands? Uh, we used to read out funny reviews. Oh, yes. It oh, feels we like we've been, we've been garnering more reviews recently. We're up to 112, which is thrilling. Uh, I want to read some of the – I want to read just two or three because they make me chuckle. I like them, and I feel like it will be good incentive for more people to review. But we should start with your favorite one, which is a five-star review. Favorite podcast, RFC9921, says, I absolutely love this podcast. It was a rough couple months when the old BGN radio disappeared. It is so good to hear BLG and all of his content again. Also, as a Strasburg High School and East Strasburg University graduate, it's awesome to see somebody from my hometown in Ben Solak doing big things. I could listen to him and Michael Kist all day long. Keep up the good work, guys. Can't wait for more. RFC, shout out to you, man. Strasburg is the place I rep that town. So hard. Love Strasburg. Shout out Strasburg. Mike, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, Ben is Ben is doing this to troll me because he knows <laughs> it upsets me because Ben has been going around Stroudsburg slandering the Kist family name, knowing that the Kist family name and the Kist are royalty in Stroudsburg. Technically, you're royalty in East Stroudsburg, okay? And I'm from Stroudsburg, and that line of delineation is very important to me. Oh, you don't think that the legendary John P., a.k.a. Jack Kist, his influence doesn't reach the entirety of Stroudsburg. He's he in does the, not make the it over the Hall of Fame. Bridge, sir. He can't <laughs> cross the levee. I have a family member, my grandfather, as a football coach in the Pennsylvania Football Hall of Fame for coaching at East Stroudsburg. You could say that the Kist are doing much more work for the community than the Solaks have done 
in the years since and the years now because his legend lives on. Rest yeah. in peace, Grandpa. I remember when we uh, when we realized that it was a pretty cool moment. Um, but anyway, I, I I like this one because there's like uh, uh, intrigue, some mystery. So uh, Bear ninety four, Bleeding Green is the truth. Five stars. Uh, I love all the info I info I get from BLG Ben and Michael. It's the best analyst out there. Which it's very likely that the intended word was analysis, which is fine. Like in the typos, we all do this. But what makes me laugh is if you just read. BLG, Ben, and Michael, it's the best analyst out there. Who are you talking about, Bear? Who is the best analyst? And so, is it Michael was the last one listed? Is it Mike Kissed? Who is number one? I need to know. You know he wanted to say, and Michael is the best analyst out no, there. No, and Michael, it's the best analyst out there. So, if he's saying it's you, he's also referring to you in the impersonal third-person pronoun. You are an it. <laughs> I'm saying this review was not helpful because... It only confused me. Uh, so we need that. We need that person to clarify yeah, their Bear iTunes review. Hit us up on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL at Benjamin Solak. Let us know. And as soon as you do, we're going to put a vote up and make you vote who you like better between <laughs> me and Ben because that's what we do to everyone. Our most passive aggressive uh, habit. Anyway, last one is my favorite one, which just says Kist and Solak five stars from Lewin, and the uh, review is enough said. And I agree, enough said. Kist and Solak forever. Amen. That's right. Cheers up. Cheers up. I'm drinking something different than you're drinking, but yeah, <laughs> definitely, but I'll, I will drink to that. <laughs> okay. iTunes review, man. If you want to hear your iTunes reviews right on this show, you know what you have to do. You have to go to iTunes and make a review. And if it's witty or points out the fact that I am the best analyst, uh, at least better than Ben, which is a fact that's science, uh, then we will read it on this show. Uh, ben will obviously try to twist your words, and I will do my best to uh, counter him and uh, giving the truth to you, gentle listeners. So make sure you go to iTunes, give us five stop. Stop it, Ben! Don't <laughs> me like that. Give us five stars. Leave your reviews. It really does help the show, and we are blown away by the outpouring um, of support that that we have. Over three hundred five star reviews, over one hundred uh, written reviews. It's it's been. Absolutely amazing. So we thank you so much. And what we're going to do for you now is we're going to kick it over to this interview where we talk about RPOs with our friend Bats. Follow him at All22. We're going to move it over to that right now. And joining me today, uh, he is an enigma on the timeline. If you haven't followed him yet, I would strongly suggest it at All22. It's spelled out like that. Everyone calls him Bets. No one knows his real name, but he is one of the most intelligent football minds and XNO junkies and coaches film and coaching clinics junkies that uh, I've ever come across. Uh, Bets, brother, how you doing, man? Good, man. Thanks for having me on. So what we're going to do today is we're going to kind of run through because you recently watched the playoff run by the Philadelphia Eagles. We've been talking, I've, I've seen you talking on the timeline about RPOs and things of that nature. So one of the first things that I wanted to establish because Chris Collinsworth got this absolutely wrong during the, uh, <laughs> the, the broadcast of the Super Bowl, and literally every play action to him was an RPO or run pass option. And that's the first and only time that I'm going to clarify both of them in the same breath. But as far as the RPOs go, what, what's the things that you're looking for when you watch a play to try to figure out whether it's just a basic play action or if there is in fact a uh, an option on there for the quarterback to either hand it off or to pass it? I mean, Collingsworth is right. Uh, they're both attacking the same thing, right? They're trying to conflict defenders 
and make them think about run and pass. But we're mostly looking at the running back, what he's doing. If he's not going into some type of, of run or if the O-line isn't two to three yards downfield, hmm. we're probably looking at play action. So with the with the, with the Eagles, they, they did something interesting, especially in the Super Bowl, and it's a rep that I showed you, uh, a video that I put up that had um, uh, a Landon Roberts, the linebacker for the Patriots, absolutely lost in the sauce. So what you saw was the left side of the Eagles line went into pass sets. The right side of the offensive line looked like they were zone blocking for a run. You had Ertz coming in from the slot, which is what Landon Roberts ended up like circling around to bite on. And you end up with this gigantic gap in the defense because Roberts had abandoned uh, his role as a linebacker for Ajayi just to scamper through. What have you seen from the Eagles as far as have you seen any because I know you were looking for it. Have you seen any other teams kind of use that that pass and run look in the same play with an RPO? Yeah, um, you did bring that to my attention and I have been looking all offseason and the Eagles are the only people and they call it locking mm. on the backside, right? So your front side tackle guard and center are doing your little pen pole or um, they like to run outside zone. And then the backside guard and tackle are, are pass blocking. And it's just something I haven't seen in other teams. And I'm just sitting here wondering why it's not more prevalent. Do you think that they maybe originated it? Or do you think, because I know you watch a lot of college film too. There's got to be a college team or, or a high school team somewhere. Like you're the b- biggest, biggest coaches film junkie I know. And I probably shouldn't say that because the FBI is going to be all over you, according to Greg Gabriel. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm just shocked that like this would be like the first time that we would see something like this. And I, and I believe they they ran it against the Atlanta Falcons, too. They had some similar concepts like that, too. It just blows my mind that that would be the first time we'd be seeing it. Well, in the NFL, right, we're trying to protect quarterbacks and uh, at college and high school, they're not so much concerned with that. You see a lot of first level RPOs, right? With defensive ends. Um, But the Eagles are exclusively running these, these second level ones that I've seen so far against backers and box safeties. And it just makes sense to lock on the backside in the NFL because you don't want your $90 million QB, you know, getting hit. Mm. So that's the one that you want to put in conflict. So they can they can carry out that fake to to the running back, or they can just pull it right away because they they understand from the leverage from the defender. I, I know with the Vikings, we saw them do it against uh, Harrison Smith a lot when he dropped down into the box. So you're saying that it's better for the offense to give that read to the backside, so it's not your blind side anymore, and you can kind of leave that person unblocked. Yeah, and with the pass set, you know the defensive end takes a wider path to the quarterback right he sees pass and he tries to go into his swim move or whatever it is and one thing with the eagles is i was lucky to get my hands on the 2018 rpo install here recently and uh college and high school level we're reading defenders but it looks like the eagles are still just counting box numbers right now they're not reading defenders after the snap so if you look at that video of uh Roberts in the Super Bowl, that is a box numbers count. They did not read a defender after, I think it was a seven in the box. So in the NFL, we haven't even got to reading defenders yet. We're just reading box numbers. So it's a big step for the NFL, but um, there's still a lot to do with 
the RPOs. Yeah, and I feel like they're going to continue to evolve that way in the manner that the Eagles started to flesh that out. And there was something that I saw, if, if you guys, gentle listeners, haven't seen it, um, NFL Game Pass has film sessions, and one of them was with Doug Peterson, and he was kind of explaining exactly what Betts, uh, what Betts was just explaining is that, you know, we're counting numbers in the box. And it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, we get eight in the box that, that we're not going to run it, or if we get five in the box that we are absolutely going to run it, because sometimes the run angles and the way they're aligned don't, don't play themselves out to be favorable in that situation. A guy might still have to climb through trash and get to that linebacker, so you'd still rather pass it uh, based on what's the what the defense is showing but that's something that they definitely do pre-snap is box count those numbers uh, that's why they're efficient in the run game because they're not going to run into loaded boxes time and time again like they're mike malarkey or any of that nonsense or any of that malarkey i should say but <laughs> what a terrible joke uh I'm, I'm, dude I'm, I, i'm raising three boys and i've got like dad jokes for days now i don't know how it happened I just overnight. <laughs> just instinctive man yeah. <laughs> So with the Eagles, I think I saw something about you you putting up there that they were running three-level RPOs. Can you kind of explain um, the basics of a three-level RPO and then how the Eagles uh, use that? And if you have like a specific example, that'd be great too. Right. We have our first level, which is defensive ends. We're reading those. Second level is the backers and stuff. And third level is the safeties. And uh, I did see one example of a third-level RPO by... The Eagles, I think it was the Rams, but they were in trips left and they gave, I think it was Wentz, a levels concept. So they had the number one receiver. So that far mo. Yeah, the the, the wide re- the the number one receiver, which is which is when you're counting numbers, by the way, and this is something that this is another plug for film sessions because Steve Spagnuolo breaks this down on his. When you're counting wide receivers, you're counting outside to inside on one side. So the outside wide receiver, you know, close closest to the sideline is going to be the one. You get the slot guy that's the two, and if there's anybody inside him, that's the three. So that's how they're counting that. Yes. Yeah, so the levels concept. It was the uh, five yard in. We call that a fin route. They had a deeper in. And it was at 10. And then that third receiver ran a seam read. So he runs down the seam. And if the seam is open, he just continues down it. If there's someone in his way, he kind of takes the outside leverage that he gets. And then if there's middle of the field open, he takes that and makes it into a post. And they paired that with outside zone. And uh, they were reading the safety. And if the safety red run he's going to throw that post. And if he doesn't, they're going to hand off. Yeah. And that's, that's fascinating. What other teams have you noticed? I know the chiefs ran a bunch of RPOs. Have you been looking into other teams to kind of see what they're doing to kind of see how they're evolving their RPO game? And is there an example of a team that, that you've seen that are maybe just as advanced, more advanced or, or close to what the Eagles are doing and how they use them? Uh, nobody's on the Eagles level right now, especially the way they're designing their RPOs. They're, they're man beaters. And everybody's still running these these bubble inside zone RPOs like the Chiefs. Yeah. There is nobody on the Eagles level right now. You see a lot of um, like backside slant replace and, and bubbles like that. Is like that that mainly like the main course of a team's RPO package? Yeah, I mean, in at the college level, we're getting into uh, slot choice and and counter these crazy RPOs. Um, but you can do that when you get a lot of zone defense. Once you get to the NFL level, Dub Maddox says you have two seconds to make a decision in man and three seconds in Mm -hmm. zone. 
And that is a huge difference. That's why we don't see these crazy RPOs. You, we don't have the time, right? What about like, uh, I know the rules in college compared to the pros are a little bit more strict in the pros as far as having offensive linemen downfield. Do you think that maybe that's something that kind of slows down the evolution of the longer developing RPOs in the NFL? Nah, I make them call it. Make them, yeah. yeah. I just think uh, they are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I did not see one illegal man downfield, and the Eagles ran against the Vikings. They came out the third quarter and ran five straight RPOs. <laughs> so, I mean, they're they're not going to call it. They're not looking for it yet. It's not happening yeah. enough. So, and in the NFL, basically, what you have with that just for, just for the listeners is. Uh, you have one yard. If you initiate contact within one yard of the line of scrimmage and you sustain that block and you keep that contact, you can take that person 100 yards down the field before the field the, before the ball is thrown and you're perfectly fine because you initiated and sustained that contact at that one yard level. So the Eagles are pretty uh, pretty cognizant of that and pretty aware of it and do a really good job with it. And I really don't see a whole lot of cases. I thought when I was looking into it more you would see some more egregious things where you could look on tape and go, wow, like those, those five POs in a row, they had a guy five yards down the field. They had another guy three yards down the field over here. Like they're uh, really disciplined with it and their execution as, as far as their execution of the RPOs, man, it's, it has completely, I wouldn't completely is a bit hyperbolic, but it has really supplanted their play action game. And you see their stats on play action they count RPOs as play action when they chart these things and they have a lower yards per attempt, but that's because they're quick hitting attempts. Um, so that's what helps them with that as well. Do you think that eventually uh, in the NFL that you're going to see, for instance, let's say that, that the Eagles on, on their passes were 25 to 27% play action before, and maybe now it's more like 13 to 14% play action RPO. Do you think that's going to start to sweep the league with guys like Matt Nagy coming into the bears and other teams seeing the success of it? You know, it's a copycat league. Uh, and these college things always tend to end up in the pros and end up sticking for a while. Is that something you could see happening? I hope so. It's, it's play action on steroids, right? Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, you can only be right yeah. in play action. You are conflicting the defender in the same way, but you only have one choice, which is to throw. I just think it's common sense to continue the trend. Some of these college teams are attaching an RPO to every run, and they're some of the best run offenses hmm. you know, in college football. So it's just common sense, in my opinion. Okay, so Nick Foles. Um, I recently talked with, with Mark Schofield from Inside the Pylon about Nick Foles and what he said about the, the magical run that he had. And we're, we're all grasping for explanations as far as to, to why it happened. And his main point was that confidence was, his, was you know, the major motivator for him, the, the thing that moved the needle for him, the confidence that Doug Peterson showed in him. And then once he got on a hot streak, it just never came down. And he said that was a, that was a big factor for him when he played quarterback. And it was probably a big factor for Nick Foles as well. As far as schematically, as you watched you know, these, these different games, was there anything else other than you know, the, the use of the RPOs that stood out to you as far as something that you could point to and say, like, this, this was designed really well for Foles on this play. This passing attack was really well designed and that's why it was successful well i gotta agree with mark he's a very smart guy yeah. the eagles put him in positions to where he was taking one-on-ones mm -hmm. constantly 
right? And uh, he was making the throws. Uh, for example, a lot of these RPOs were attached with slants, and the Vikings and Falcons particularly run man-to-man a lot. And he was put in a position to just put a slant on a guy and let the guy make a move. I just think it was good play calling on, on Peterson's part because he's not asking Foles to, you know, dissect cover three, yeah. cover four, every single snap, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then with the uh, with the Vikings too, it looked like, I don't know if it looked like this to you either. This is kind of a weird question, but do you think they were tagging um, just shooting up the field after a dig or an out route? Like, do you think that was a major part of their plan? Maybe something that they saw on tape because you saw it on the touchdown to Jeffrey. Um, the one to Ertz looked like more of a design because they were playing the sticks it, they were playing against the clock too. So he runs that out to the sticks and they, everyone thinks he's just trying to catch that and get out of bounds. And he shoots up field and burns Harrison Smith, but especially the one to Alshon Jeffrey, where he runs that deep dig and gets Terrence Newman kind of peeking into the backfield and they tag it with an up. We saw it a few times throughout the game. Do you think that's something that like they designed or is that just something that was just kind of freelance? Yeah, that's a good observation. I think that is something that they designed because the Vikings, like I said, play man-to-man, you know, 90% of the time. They just got the dudes to do that. And like you said, you you only get two seconds to make a decision in man. But if you can extend that play and shoot up field, like you said, I mean, you, you have open plays and, and they made those plays. Let's go on to another topic here, college football, the the, the way that it's going. I know you watch a lot. You're your coach's film junkie, as I've said a, a bunch of times now. You grind film like no other for some reason because – I mean, you're not in media. You won't put your real name out there. So you're gathering this, all this uh, internet love. Your, your followers have shot up on the timeline. You're a bit of an enigma. But, but as far as like, like why you watch and what you like to watch and what you see the game evolving to in college, is there something maybe outside of the RPO or maybe even contained with the RPO that we really haven't seen uh, at the pro level? that you think is going to leak its way into the NFL or just that you enjoy watching? Like uh, what, what do you enjoy watching? What do you think is the future of college football game planning? I think right now we're at the peak of what we've seen. Uh, We've advanced football uh, so much, even in the past five years, nobody knew what an RPO was five years, even though they're running them. Right. And even still doesn't know what pattern matching is. So that's not too big of a surprise as far as how things are. (laughs) Maybe not the average fan, but, you know, the people following you probably know these things. And uh, I'm looking forward to when we start thinking about running and and how we attack the field. Um, I don't know if you guys follow Seth Galena on, on Twitter. He's a great follow, but he made a good point when he's calling his offense. If you're calling 50 percent of your plays as runs, you're attacking the line of scrimmage 50 percent of the time we got to find a way to dis- distribute the ball a little bit better, you know? And uh, that's what I'm looking for. Once we get forward thinking people that aren't afraid of an interception yeah. or two, I think, uh, you know, the offenses are going to blow up. With, with, the, with the way the Eagles are. So they're a little bit more forward thinking. Do you think that caught Zimmer off guard? Because they were a historic defense. They were, you know, since they've tracked third down conversions, uh, there has been no one with a lower conversion rate than that defense. And the Eagles started out nine for 11 uh, on third downs against them, ended up 10 for, for 14. Do you think that like what the Eagles are doing are so far ahead 
of what the Vikings could do defensively? And do you think because of that and because of what we can still do and evolve with the RPO, that this thing, this RPO thing, isn't going to go away for uh, in a in a short amount of time, kind of like the Wildcat did, because the Wildcat came out like on fire and then died very very quickly on a vine. Do you think that's that, that the RPO is here to stay for the long term? Oh, definitely. And and as much as I love scheme, the Eagles were just executing on a higher level. Like you can run any scheme you want, right? You can you can run power football play action you can go five wide you can do whatever but it comes down to execution and winning one-on-ones is probably the biggest thing in football and uh i'm screen scheme is great but it comes down to players and the way the eagles you know use their two tight end sets but they were going you know four wide with them and, and still running the same things that they were running when they're running you know deuce two tight ends in line. It was just the way you put together an offense is probably more important than the scheme itself, if that makes sense. Everything should flow. One example I can think of is uh, one of the RPOs they love, like you said, is that outside zone with the replace slant on the backside. Mm -hmm. And so they're reading that that curl flat defender, right? Yep. Well, they also had a version. Well, he would outside release that replace slant. Well, in the Vikings game, there was a third and one there. I think they were on the 14 yard line. They actually called a arrow concept. So that tight end ran that little flat route with a slant over the top and they converted that third down. And that was something that I hadn't seen yet. It was just a beautiful way to put together an offense. And sometimes that gets lost, right? In the yeah. grand scheme of things, how things are put together. Yeah, and your point about um, uh, tight ends as well, man. The, the, the Eagles were, I think, the second highest frequency of passing out of 12 personnel with those two tight end sets. They were at 57%. Uh, the only ones that did it more were the Kansas City Chiefs with Andy Reid. So it stayed within the, uh, it stayed within the same coaching tree. So that's interesting. A bet, man. Where can people uh, interact, dude? Okay, so for the listeners here, we're gonna kind of let our hair down. I'm bald, but whatever. Uh, Bets is the most entertaining follow uh, of that I have on the timeline. Once per day, I make sure to go check his timeline to make sure that I didn't miss some like tweet that's about to blow up and go viral, or some shade thrown at some like major media uh, analyst like Kirk Herbstreet. Or something like that. How, <laughs> how long did Kirk Herbstreet follow you before he realized it was a terrible, terrible idea? Man, at one time, I must have had like a viral tweet. I had Chris Mortensen, uh, Kirk, and uh, who's that one dude who loves LeBron in the media? Nick, whatever. And oh, pff, within yeah. 48 hours, I lost all three. So <laughs> uh, it was a good time, though. <laughs> That's amazing. I think I think it was Marcus uh, Marcus Mosier that was like, "All right, bets." I'm, I'm, uh, or Marcus Mosier with the uh, the Athletic Dallas now, if I if I'm not mistaken. Um, he's like, "All right, bets." Oh, wow, good for him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm gonna give you a chance. And then, like, I think six hours later, I saw that he had blocked you. This <laughs> 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 is incredible. Did you did you see my tweet at him? He, he got engaged. Did you see this? Oh, did he? Yeah. Did you? you no, did... I did not. Yeah. Oh, dude. All right. I'm gonna send you. I'm... I, uh, I photoshopped because he looks like the colonel from KFC, right? So I photoshopped the KFC logo onto his uh, <laughs> fiance's wedding ring. <laughs> <laughs> 
So that's the type of stuff you're going to get on the timeline from uh, from me and Betts here. Uh, Betts, remind everybody where they can follow you uh, on Twitter and um, and where you're putting your X and O work on the uh, on the on the internet. Well, uh, you could follow me at, at all twenty two. Um, I do not work for anybody. I just kind of do this for fun, man. Uh, once this becomes a job, I think I would hate it. So I kind of just, you know, grind for the fun of it. Yeah. So I, I, I appreciate you coming on and uh, having fun with me. You don't have the .NET site anymore? or <laughs> I do, but it's, it's pretty shitty. I don't keep up with it. So I'm not really proud of my writing either. So it's yeah. just like, it just, it's there, yeah. but. That's that's funny, man. That's funny. Yeah, you're like one of the brightest minds on the timeline and just don't give a crap about anything. Like I would switch you for like Andy Benoit in an absolute heartbeat for several reasons. But you keep enjoying what you're doing. Live your best life. And I really appreciate you coming on, man. Oh, thanks, Kist. I really appreciate the opportunity. And Ben, we are back. We have one more preseason game to go. Who is it against? Jets. (laughs) One more preseason we game to go. We always play the Jets against... in the preseason, man. Come on. One more preseason. I'm going to edit that out. One more preseason. <laughs> <laughs> we are back. One more preseason game to go in the season, Ben. This yeah, is going to Jets. be a thrill. Yeah, we are playing the Jets. That is correct. <laughs> 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 no, I don't know if I want to edit it out because that was funny. <laughs> so we got one more game to go. Against the Jets, week four, super important. Uh, people fighting for, for, really though, it is important for some guys fighting for roster positions. You know, guys like DeAndre Carter, the wide receiver, and, and some of the offensive linemen and then defensive backs. So it's going to be uh, an important game for those guys. And if you know me and Ben, you know that we will begrudgingly be breaking it down to insane levels for the importance of what the game actually is. So what you're going to get next on the next episode BGN Radio episode number four is John Stolness and Brandon Lee Gowton previewing the game. Obviously, some position battles going on. You're going to get the Kiston Solak show recap on Friday after the game. And then me and Ben are going to be back to do some over-unders for the regular season at the beginning of next week, covering the team, covering individual players, stats, nerdy stuff, all that good stuff. So make sure you're tuning in. And Ben, I think I did your job for you. Can you say goodbye to the gentle listeners? Bye, gentle listeners. We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play. Brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories. Like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0. Or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. 
you can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.